We're going to resume our study in uh, 1 Corinthians, and I told you we're taking a little bit of a, not a hiatus, but we're going to focus on the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, and uh, we'll take a look at that tonight. Um, and it's fitting, it's really ministered to me, um, and I'll, I'll set the stage for you, but before we do that, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this evening, and we thank you, God, for your faithfulness in our lives, and Lord, I confess that uh, there are seasons where I just can't figure you out. And you, you throw a curveball and we're left kind of wondering. But then, Lord, as the dust settles, and just realize that your sovereign hand works in and through every situation. And you already have the beginning from the end and all points in between. And you call us to be faithful and you work it together for good. And you tell us to give thanks in all things, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, I, I do pray tonight that folks would be ministered to in the capacity in which you ministered to me, and I pray even in a greater capacity, but I do want to say thank you, Lord, for the faithfulness of your word ministering to my heart, and I pray to everyone's heart tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, um, maybe you didn't react last night the way I did, uh, but... Um, uh, the election, uh, we had a prayer service Tuesday night at 6 o'clock and uh, ended at 7. Uh, folks hung around to fellowship and we prayed for the election and asked God's blessing. Uh, I went home and uh, had a few things to do and it was kind of busy. And I'd had a busy day through that. I went to go visit one of the businesses in town and uh, just anxious about everything happening. And uh, and came home and started watching the election results and it was not as exciting as I was hoping it was going to be, and uh, granted, everyone's looking for the silver lining, and they're thrilled, and you know, uh, nationally, uh, federal elections seem great. California, we, you know, just took a shellacking. Um, whether you're Democrat or Republican, the idea is one party in California now completely dominates, and uh, in the state assembly and in the state senate, it is a, um, a, one of the greatest supermajorities ever in the history of the state. And the governor who was elected, it, it's, it's probably one of the most progressive kind of liberal governors in the history of, of the state. And so looking at that and watching Californians voting uh, a gas tax upon themselves, I, I just, I can't process these things. And I, I'm looking at it thinking, what is this? And I thought, okay, local elections will be great. And I click onto the local elections of folks that I've tried to encourage and they've been faithful to participate and stepping out in faith. And every single one of them, with the exception of uh, uh, Doug Nichols, took a complete shellacking. I mean, they just they got beat like a rented mule, and uh, and it was and, and it was it was hard. Um, and I, I looked at that and I just processed it and I thought to myself, okay, Lord, you know, I I woke up, I tried to go to bed, couldn't because uh, some of the local Ventura stuff hadn't dropped yet. And I'd just roll around and I got up about 1 a.m. and stayed up, you know, most of the morning. I had a really early morning event over at uh, Beacon Hill Academy to judge a speech contest with uh, uh, little ones. And I was thinking to myself, why did I schedule that the day after an election? And I didn't get much sleep and rolled myself over to Beacon Hill Academy and I really appreciate Denny Deutsch who is the headmaster at Beacon Hill Academy and my wife and my daughter had asked, is there a possibility of Oliver, my grandson, Molly, and Micah's son, if we could get him into Beacon Hill? And, you know, that had to happen three months ago. There's a waiting list. And, you know, I said, well, why don't you come on out and look at the school, see if you like it when I come out and judge the speech contest. And so we were all up early and having to get things done. And I get there, and I'm just literally in a fog. And part of it, and I won't go through it, but... Um, I just, I felt like I'd let some folks down and I, I was just, I really just want to go and crawl under a rock and disappear. And uh, it's one of those times where you're just assessing everything and thinking, you know, Lord, just don't get you. Um, and, and knowing that people are going to want to be encouraged and I, I won't, I won't, I won't divulge any names, but even last night as the returns were coming in, uh, one candidate in particular called me, uh, just an absolute, you know, just devastated because of a family issue. And I, I, I won't describe it, but su suffice it to say, take your worst family issue and, and exponentially uh, multiply it. And they're facing that at the same time all this is occurring. 
and ministering to them and, and just trying to bring the hope of the Lord and just realizing this is a massive battle. And, and for the school board in particular, they were estimating between one hundred and fifty dollars to $200,000 was spent against uh, all the non-union candidates and um, uh, just, just obliterated them. Um, and they, everyone who ran got beat up. So uh, looking at it and realizing, okay, there's, there's a change in the city, a change in the state, and uh, even a change in the country. And always, you know, realizing, and I, I got all the, plat- or the, the trite comments from folks, you know, the Lord's on the throne, and, and I hear those things. I'm like, yeah, praise the Lord, he is. <laughs> he was yesterday too, and he still is today, and I'm still confused and struggling. Um, and thanks for just the comfort of that statement that was so heartfelt. Uh, <laughs> maybe you've never experienced that. So uh, processed through it and uh, headed over to Beacon Hill Academy, parked the car, walking in thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to sit and judge these little kids speaking. And I walk into Beacon Hill and I, I see Denny, who is one of the most remarkable men. He has every student's name memorized, the parents' names memorized. He knows what grade they're in, what they're, what's special about them. He greets them. He's got nicknames for all of them. They just adore him. And, and I'm watching this guy make a profound difference. And a, a, a huge number of our families with younger children educate their children over at Beacon Hill. And I'm watching these young kids step up. I mean, they're, they're this big to this big. Uh, and and there was one boy in particular dresses up like Abraham Lincoln, recites the entire Gettysburg Address uh, and does it with, you know, intonation and, and expression. And I'm sitting there just blown away and moved watching young people whose lives are profoundly impacted by this education. Uh, one little girl gets up and gives a Magnificat, reciting everything that Mary had said in, in uh, the, 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 the story in Luke. And she's dressed like Mary, a little tiny girl, and she is just killing it. I mean, it's awesome. And I'm sitting there just stunned. There, there isn't a person in the congregation I would assume that could recite the Magnificat. Here this little girl's just doing it, and she's doing it with joy, and she's got a smile on her face, and I'm floored by it. And one kid after the next, just boom, 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 boom. And I'm looking at this thinking, this does not happen in the public school system. And I'm looking saying, but it is happening in California. And I'm watching this, and I'm stunned by it. And, and Denny Deutsch, uh, the headmaster, his heart is to get these kids into culture. He doesn't want, you know, for us, by us, and educate the kids and then move to an, uh, a compound in Montana where you have canned goods and AR-15s and wait for the world to melt down as you're polishing brass on the Titanic. He, he, he wants to put these kids into culture, and they're, they're moved by that. And Denny and I are a kindred spirit. And then he says, you know, Rob... I don't know if you know this, but I almost died. I said, no. He said, I had stomach ache. I thought it was just being overwhelmed. I, I couldn't get out of bed. I just thought it was, you know, just the stress of the job. Came to find out dead tissue in my intestines. It had totally blocked and it was atrophy or I don't know what they call it. They had to go in and emergency, you know, surgery. Uh, I'd had sepsis. It went into my brain. I, I was on death's door. I'm like, Denny, are you serious? And I'm looking at everybody who's engaged in some area where they're pushing the envelope in a culture that is the antithesis of what we believe as Christians, and they're getting the daylights beaten out of them. And, and, if, and if this last couple of days was easy for you, I just want you to know you're probably not as engaged as you should have been. Because it was, it was brutal. And listening to Denny and so moved by it, I left there, you know, encouraged. My daughter sat down with him, and uh, she just loved the school, and they're praying about Oliver going there, and and then he says, you know, I'll work something out. We'll get him in. I just was so blessed by that. Coming back and uh, I get back to the house and I'm, I've got another appointment, a couple of other things happening. I'm here at the church and having to return uh, some texts and voicemails, emails, trying to, you know, comfort people while my, I myself am just kind of in a fog and went to the hospital, do a visitation, all the things you do as a pastor. And, and just through the course of the day, just empty, giving from an empty well, but doing the best to give what I have. And, and in the midst of it, I get a phone call. And well, let me, let me preempt that. I get a phone call before that phone call. And it's uh, a friend of mine in Sacramento who's involved in politics and we work together closely. And, you know, he's lamenting about the election and what happened here locally and all the things and just, you know, uh, what we're facing and as a state and all the stuff happening and, and, you know, I just kind of started watching myself go in a place I didn't want to go. 
Like, uh, you know, what's going to happen to California? Is it a place I can raise my grandkids? You know, the, the defeatist mentality, like, well, maybe I ought to move to Montana in a compound, get some canned goods. And, you know, the, the same thing everyone goes through when you're trying to work it out on your own. Did you hear that part? And, and I, I hang up and I realize, first of all, I didn't minister to them. So I called them back and did that. And secondly, I repented before the Lord. And as soon as I repented, the phone rings. And, uh, and I answer it. And they had actually called earlier in the day, but I didn't answer because I was in another meeting. They called this time. I answer it. And it's uh, Pastor Nets Gomez uh, at the Hispanic Church in Northridge. He's, he, is, he is probably the most spirit-guided human being I've ever met in all my life, period. That's a big statement. There is something so gentle and precious about him, and he immediately jumps into your world with every ability to minister, and he pours himself into every situation. This is a man of a church of thousands, and I'm thinking, where do you have time to call me? And he says, you've been on my heart all day. I've been praying for you. I just am burdened for you, and I just want to let you know. And he starts going, and none of the trite stuff. He's, he's speaking into my life in profound ways that I don't even know how to describe, where he is just hitting every chord that's causing my heart to sing. And we're both in tears, and he says, you know, let me pray for you, and I pray for him, and, and he says, I'm going to Mexico to visit my mom when I get back. I, I just want to get together with you, and, uh, you know, and, and, and it was really sweet. And I hang up, and I just realize, what, what happened there, Lord? Because all of a sudden, my entire day changed, and I realized what happened. I came into the presence of the Spirit of the Lord by a man who was filled with the presence of the Lord. And, and, and I, I started assessing why I was so depressed because all of my physical efforts availed, in my estimation, to nothing. And some of you can find the silver lining and think, well, we succeeded here and we failed there and we got that. And, and we, we all analyze that. But it came down to this place where we can analyze it until we're exhausted, but the bottom line is we're exhausted. And, and there's a number of people that need to be ministered to, and they're tired. And people walk thousands of homes, made thousands of phone calls, and any, any armchair quarterback can sit, and, and they haven't lifted a finger to do squat with the exception of maybe having voted. And they had to be prodded to do that, but they participated in no way, shape, or form, and they're going to make an assessment on how everything worked out. Good for them. But where's your skin in the game? And, 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 and yet, I, I run into a man that is busier than a one-legged man in a butt-kicking contest calling me and pouring into me and completely transforming me more than any other phone call or conversation I had with anybody during the course of the day. And all of a sudden, the Lord ministers to me as I had been preparing this message, and I really believe it's for all of us tonight. If any of you had a vested interest in the election, if any of you are struggling with the condition of California, the direction of the nation, or blah, 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 fill in the blank. Maybe it's pertaining to your family as a number of folks have just been massively hit. Some of the strongest servants in our church this past week, week and a half, I can't even begin to tell you what has occurred in their life that is devastating. And these are folks that are stepping in, and I, I even told Nets, I go, be careful, you're ministering to me, you're going to get beat up. Uh, it's, it's, you know, and, and, the, and the enemy is formidable. And, and he, he operates in a realm uh, beyond space and time, in a sense. And, and, and we're created a little lower than the angels. And he is, he's, they're these, the third of the angels, the fallen you know, angels, they're, they're, they're far more powerful than we can imagine. So how do we contend with that heavenly realm? Because the Bible says we don't battle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual principalities. We're dealing with, with creatures that are far more profound and effective and stronger than we are. How do we, how do we win? And all of a sudden, it just hit me. And I pray tonight that this message ministers to you as we take a look at it. Now, as we've been going through 1 Corinthians, we stopped at the first three verses because we're going into the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I explained to you the third person of the Trinity. I answered questions last week. I know a number of folks are excited about wanting to analyze a little bit more. Uh, and we will if we have time. But I wanted to show you this. This is, this is out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And the passage here reads, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. So we're dealing with this picture of, as Paul would say in Ephesians, we're baptized into one body, and he's speaking about water baptism. He's speaking about this idea of, of this outward, it, it, baptism is an outward expression of an inward commitment. 
Uh, we have a baptismal here. We're waiting for it to be plumbed. When we do, we have a number of folks who want to be baptized. They're going to do it in front of all the witnesses. And when the, the water represents the grave and they're going to associate themselves with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, they go under the water and they are dead to themselves and they rise and they're alive to Christ. And that baptism is saying that I am professing my faith publicly of what's already in, occurred internally and I want the world to know. And it's a public profession of faith. And that is, in a sense, communion for many because it's the body of Christ broken and his blood shed. And we're telling the world that we're believers and it's a public profession of faith. And so, in a sense, that is a testimony of membership. That is a, an expression of membership. It's you're carrying the, the get out of hell free card for the world to see. Good. And, um, and, then, and so, with that, now we're going to take a look at something even more interesting. There are three areas of baptism in the scripture. One is um, this idea of being baptized in water. Another is being baptized into the body of Christ. And the other is this idea of a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And as we're taking a look at the third person of the Trinity, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, this is one of the most controversial topics in the body of Christ because people are freaked out about it. Uh, there are a number of folks that say that when you're when, when you're uh, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, uh, um, an identifying factor of that is that you speak in tongues. We're going to take a look at that tonight, that, that uh, an identifying feature of being baptized um, by the Spirit is speaking in tongues. We'll take a look at that. I personally don't believe it. I don't think the Scripture speaks to it. And if folks do do it, they do it from the silence of the Scriptures as opposed to uh, the reality of the Scriptures. And that's a dangerous direction, by the way. Um, and, and we're going to also, you know, folks are saying, well, when, when you're born again, you're baptized, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. For some folks, it happens all at once, this regeneration, this filling, uh, this anointing upon your life. But we're going to see in Scripture where there's two separate occurrences. And, and we're going to take a look at what is this baptism of the Spirit. And I want to begin by taking a look at a passage of Scripture uh, in, in the book of Acts uh, and I'll, I'll put it up in just a moment. But there's a trinity that, that contends with every believer. We have the trinity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The trinity that contends with us and the world is the world, the flesh, and the devil. Formidable opponent. They mop the floor with us. My flesh is very powerful. It, it gets the best of me. The world depresses me. It gets the best of me. And the devil, he knows how to push every button I have. And, and he can do a number on me. And so we, we have this Father, Son, Holy Spirit, which is this Trinity, which we've been taking a look at in this third person of the Trinity we don't know a lot about. And now we see this Trinity of the devil, the, 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 the flesh, the, the world, and the devil. And, uh, and so here Jesus is ministering in the Gospels, and he, he's, he's with the disciples for three and a half years. And he's pouring into them for three and a half years. And in the three and a half years, they witness miracles, they witness healings, um, they, 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 they observe all of his teachings, they see how he interacts with the public, uh, they, they see him raise the dead and the blind see and the deaf hear and the lame walk and the mute speak and he casts out demons and he, he multiplies loaves and fishes, he walks on water, he calms storms, they've witnessed all of it. They've seen him, you know, few, three of them have seen him on the Mount of Transfiguration, they see Moses and Elijah. Uh, they, they are blown away. Three and a half years he's poured into them. They, they have seen him transform this area of Galilee into Jerusalem. They've witnessed him crucified. And, and at the conclusion of, of the gospel account in the, in the book of, of John, which we'll take a look at in a little bit, he says, I, I want you to, to wait for this gift that I'm going to give you. And this is what we're going to take a look at tonight. And whatever, and, and really this gift is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, for a lot of you, uh, and I'm going to take time to explain it, because some of you, like me, came out of a church that was a cessationist church where the gifts died with the apostles, some of the gifts, and this idea of a baptism of the Holy Spirit is, is not accurate, and, and they don't believe it exists, um, and, and, it, and, and we're going to look at it in this simple concept, or this, the, the context of the scripture itself, but... I would just simply say whatever this baptism is, it cannot be replaced by education or determination. Whatever this baptism is, 
it will, it is, is far more powerful than our talent or our training or our hard work. And I'll give you a perfect example before I get into the text. I'm tired. I've worked hard. I'm talented in some capacity in the political arena and I got whooped. I have been diligent. I I have been doing everything I possibly can and I don't know where there's more time in the day. I am burdened. I'm driven. And I have to tell you, by God's grace, the, the exhaustion of that did not present itself, I pray, in a way that burdened my family. I was watching the election returns. Michelle's asking me questions about the local elections. I'm trying to pull it up on the screen. I'm preoccupied with a thousand things. And, and I can sense myself getting frustrated. And Rob McCoy is present sitting on that couch. And he is, he is so full of his talent and his training and his hard work. He is, he is just completely enmeshed in, in this education and determination of, of how to run politics. And, and I'm sitting there trying to assess this, and I have no time for my family. Rob McCoy was completely present on that couch. And, and in the course of it, it's exactly the disciples. They had walked with Jesus for three and a half years. They had witnesses. They had training. It's like going to seminary. And now the Lord is going to tell them, listen, I've been with you three and a half years I, I was crucified, bled, and died on the cross. I was buried and resurrected. Um, and I just want to tell you guys, now that I've poured everything into you, you've got talent, you've got education, you've got determination, go out there and get it done. I've read the scriptures, I've never seen him do that. As a matter of fact, he knew that he was in a lot of trouble if that was going to be the case. And we rely so heavily on our ability We rely so heavily on our talent and our education that the church is void of any power. And so it brings us to this place where in Acts chapter 1, Jesus has resurrected. He's been with them for about 40 days in this resurrected body. He's passing through walls. He's freaking them out in moments. And he's, he's now saying in Acts chapter 1, I'm going to go away, but I'll tell you what, something amazing is going to happen, and it's going to happen 10 days from that point. It's called Pentecost. So Acts chapter 1, and we'll pick up at verse 4, it says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to, everyone say wait, wait. but to wait for the promise of the Father, which... He said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. It's interesting to me that after three and a half years, pouring into them, educating them, them witnessing all these miracles, all these things, he just simply looks at them and he says, the one thing that I want you to do more than anything else is I want you to wait. I'm not interested in your talent, your training, your determination. And he says, I want you to wait. And he says, I want you to wait for something specific. And that's that, what that specific thing is, is that you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And whatever this is, whatever this baptism of the Holy Spirit is, I have to tell you something tonight, however you feel about it, whatever this baptism of the Holy Spirit is, it is essential for the body of Christ. Absolutely essential for the body of Christ. And so he says, I want you to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. And as he lays this out, and this, this picture of three and a half years of pouring into them, he says, I don't want you to go out and start working, I just want you to wait. And I want you to wait for something specific, it's a promise, a promise from the Father. This, didn't, this, this promise didn't come from the Pentecostals. This promise didn't come from you know, all the Charismatics. This promise is from the Father. And you heard it from me, so it's testified by the Father and by the Son. And what's going to happen is you're going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And as he lays this out, you think to yourself, what is this baptism of the Holy Spirit? 
He says, in this picture, you shall receive power. You shall receive power. And this idea is, this baptism of the Holy Spirit is real simple. It's the power to live a life that looks like Jesus. Take a look. He says, wait, and it's the promise of the Father. You've heard it from him. And then he says this, but you shall be baptized. Those five words, but you shall be baptized. He didn't say, I want you to wait for the promise of the Father that you've heard from me, and this rules are simple. I gave you my word, I've educated you, now go out and get it done. He uses a very distinct statement. He says, you shall be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now, it'd be about 10 days from that point, Pentecost. And he uses this distinct statement. So if it's there, we have to ask, what's it there for? And then it's going to take us into verse 6, which I want you to see. Is it up there? Yeah. He says, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. I cracked up at that. I, 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 you may not find it funny. I did. Because the Lord is saying to me in the course of the day, especially when Nets calls, I am, I am trying to ask him, how do we fix this mess? None of you had that problem. <laughs> Lord, how do we restore, how do we restore the kingdom? How do we bring about thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Lord, what is the, what's the roadmap? What did we do wrong? What, what is it that I'm missing here? Uh, what, where, did I, where did I miss the turn here? Where did I hear you? And the same questions I was pouring out to him are the exact same questions. He says, you're going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. They're like, yeah. Hey, listen, when do we get back to fixing this kingdom thing? How many seats did we lose in the house? How many did we win in the Senate? What's happening in California? What happened in our own city? What's about the county? What do you, we, gas tax? We we have enough taxes. Did somebody remove every person's brain in California? Lord, what is happening here? How do we fix this? Who, Who do I have to organize with? How do I build? Because, Lord, I brought a knife to a gunfight and I got mauled. I mean, I got handwritten notes from the opposition mailed to my house by like a neighbor saying, I just want you to know what lovely people they are and to vote for them. I'm like, who does this? Where do they get people to write these things to every person in the city? Well, it's $150,000, $200,000. It's how you do it. And as I watch that, I'm thinking, wait a minute. And just like the disciples, when God says, Rob, I want to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I want, I want this power to come upon you. And it's a promise from the Father and, 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 and my response to the Lord is, yeah, Lord, Lord, when are we going to restore this kingdom? I can't seem to get my mind off of what my talent, training, and ambition, and determination is driven to do. And God says, you know what, you've been really, really working hard. And I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do for you because I love you so much. I'm just going to cut your knees out from under you and have you just trip. I'm just going to let my hand off the training wheels that you're riding this bike and you just get to, how's that? Did you enjoy that? I scraped my elbow. Good. Now you want to get back to where I'm holding the bike? Do you you want me to participate in your life? Because it seems like you've got this all under control. How's that going for you? Look at verse eight. But you shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. I marvel at that. This idea that God is saying, I'm going to give you power, and you're going to receive it. Everyone say receive. Receive. You know what I love about that idea? If we're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, and we're going to receive it. Is that something where the Lord says, I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and you're going to earn it and you're going to work really hard to obtain it and I want you to huff and puff and make it happen and I want you to muster it up. Shabba-lama-lama, Hyundai. 
I'm going to blow on you. I'm going to smack you. I'm not to demean whatever occurs in some of the, the, the movements in the body of Christ, but the reality is, with or without that, not needed. Whatever's going on, not sure. But I do know this. There's only one simple way to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. How do you receive something? First of all, it has to be offered. How did you receive Christ? It was a gift. And the gift is being handed to you by who? The promise of the Father. Here it is. And you need to receive it. You receive this gift, and then with that receiving of it will come power. Now, you know what the word power means in the Greek? It's dunamis. It's where we get the concept of dynamite. Dunamis, it's the Greek portion for the word dynamite, explosive, unbelievable power. And this Holy Spirit will come upon you, and we're going to take a look at that. Some of you have seen it. I've used the illustration a thousand times. I didn't feel like doing it tonight because I like the carpet and I don't want to ruin it. But as we go through this, you're going to see this picture where you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then it says, you will be witnesses to me. He doesn't say, this power is going to come on you, upon you, and then I need you to go out and witness. I need you to knock on every door. I need you to make phone calls. I need you to make this happen. He says, no, it's not you doing anything. It's you being who I'm calling you to be. You're going to be a witness of me. You're going to reflect me. You're, you're not going to sit on the couch with your family on election returns where you're frustrated because your talent and your abilities have run its course and you're exhausted and frustrated and Jesus is nowhere to be found and you're sitting there with this toxicity upon everyone who's in your sphere of influence. You're going to have power where the person existing is going to be me and the power will reflect itself in my presence in your life. Is there anyone in the room who would really enjoy that? And if you wouldn't, let me ask your family. Family members, would you enjoy if that member of your family wasn't there and Christ was? Okay, this is a tough crowd. And this is a part I like. He says... You shall be, just, it's, it's, it's a portion of who you are. You shall be witnesses to me. Where? I love this. Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And the, the apostles are going to be sent out all over the world. And we always say, well, it starts in Jerusalem, and then it goes into Judea and Samaria, and the outermost parts of the world, and so pebble in a pond, and it, it, it just ripple effects to the world. I don't buy it. What he's saying is, I don't care where you're called to serve, whether it's in politics or business or in Hollywood or here or there. And you go, you don't understand the ground where I'm, I'm working. It is tough ground. I mean, when you're in politics, it's just, it's, it's dog eat dog and you don't know who you can trust and it's hard as can be and you got to go through all the issues of the city and you've got to contend and you got to build coalitions and you got to work through this. You got these people who want this and these people who want that. It's hard ground. It's hard ground. Shut up. It's all hard ground. And here's the exciting thing about it. I'll tell you what's hard ground. I'll t- it's, it's coming up. Thanksgiving with your family. <laughs> Just walk right on in there. Hey, or a wedding with your family. And all the, you know, what's the game clue? You got to figure out who murdered who. <laughs> candlestick in the, and you're like, I'm in. And, and you, you got this mess. And they have, they have grown up with you and they know every button to push. And they know how to just make you miserable. And a prophet is without honor in his own country and you're sitting there and they're just making your life a living hell and you're just frustrated. And, and they're not even, the food's not even good. You just want to go home and just, I don't want to be here anymore. Plus holidays, you eat too much and you just, you're sick of yourself and you're sick of them and, and there's more of you and you just wanted to go away but you can't stop eating because food is a comfort and that's the only thing in the house that makes them stop talking and put it in your mouth and just eat and don't talk anymore. Maybe that's not your home, it's something I've, <laughs> I've exceeded. And what I love about this is God is saying it doesn't matter where in the world you are. It doesn't matter where in the world you are, this power will be with you. 
So, you go into the DMV. Everyone knows that is a pleasant experience. We love every bit of it. We walk into the DMV and you have your appointment to realize you still have a three-hour wait. And you get up there and you don't have the proper form and the form's sitting right there in the county and go, well, I can't give you this one. You'll need to go over there to get it and get another ticket to get back in the line. Rob McCoy wants to reach over the counter. And, and the Lord says, you want power to be a witness to me? No. <laughs> I'd rather kill them, Lord. <laughs> but you say, yes, Lord, I do. And this, this power comes upon you. And all of a sudden, you can, you can walk through some of the most difficult circumstances, and your heart is lifted. And I look at a guy like Nets. He gets just as many calls to do hospital visits. He gets just as many calls of people going through a crisis. He gets just as many calls of, of financial burdens. He gets just as many, he gets it all. And he still has his family struggles. He still has his radio show problems. He's still got everything I have. And you pick up that phone and every time you pick it up, Nets is nowhere to be found. I just know I'm gonna find Jesus on the other end of that line. And, and the first question he asks is, Rob, tell me about how the Lord ministered to you during that fast. And he took me back to that place. And I said, oh, Nets. It was like the, the last day of the fast, I didn't want it to end. Yeah, I, I, I knew I needed to eat and I wanted to, but there was just something so special about being connected to the Lord, having had no food for, for almost two weeks. And I was just saying, you know, it was one of the most precious experiences. And going through Isaiah 54, and, and, and the minute that it ended, I noticed something. Because God said he's gonna show you favor, and he was walking through all these things in, in the fast in Isaiah 54. And immediately, the, the two or three weeks following that, I, I would walk into a room, and, and there would be something special. And people would come up and say something. I'm like, what are you talking about? I've been here before. No, 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 no. Something's really cool happening. You know, there's, there's, there's the, whatever you're presenting or however you're saying, it's just coming through clear. I don't know what it is. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. I've been doing this for a while. What my talent has always been there. My, <laughs> my education's always been, what are you talking about? And, and it's, the idea is Rob was dying and Christ was, well, Rob was dying and relying on the Lord. And that's brought me to that place where I started to reflect a, a, upon this and all of a sudden you start to realize God says Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the outermost parts of the world because this power that he wants to give you through this baptism of the Holy Spirit will, will be sufficient anywhere in the world that you go. And what's cool is uh, the world comes into contact with Jesus and not you. Now, why would the Lord use this term baptism? Why, why wouldn't he say something like, um, you know, I've instructed you and the Spirit will come and guide you. Why did he say baptism? Why did he say baptism in the Holy Spirit? Why did he say, and the Holy Spirit will give you instruction? The Holy Spirit will give you direction. Why did he say baptism? I, I love the, the idea is that, you know, you go into the water and you come out, and I was going to show some pictures, but I didn't have time, of the first thing that happens when you get baptized you hug somebody, right? Hello? And you hug them, and they're so excited for what you've just professed. And then after you finish hugging them, what's on you? Water. Whatever you're baptized into, you're covered in, and you get it on others. It's a very profound picture that this is how you affect the world for Christ, and this is why he uses this idea this power is effective anywhere in the world. And now take a look at um, John 14. Is that up there? Yeah. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. So Jesus is telling him, look, I'm going away and I'm gonna give you another helper that he may abide with you forever the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells, everyone say, with you, and will be So I've covered this before. I don't want to, uh, you know, 
overwhelm you with it or just burden you with the continuousness of it, but I, I just will briefly fly over it. The illustration I give is I have a pitcher of water here, I have a cup here. This represents you, this represents the Lord. And, and, and this idea is, is the word para in the, in the Greek. There's three prepositions for the Holy Spirit's relationship in your life. Para means alongside. And he, he comes alongside you and he, 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 the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. He convicts the world of sin. He's a restrainer of evil. And he's alongside. And we're just empty vessels. And, and he's here. He's a restrainer of evil. And, and then all of a sudden, you receive the Lord. And then you're, you're filled. And the water starts to go in. And that's N. That means, uh, a, that means salvation. That you've become a believer. And the water goes in you. And now you're... You're a temple of the Holy Spirit, and I'll show you some verses momentarily. But this idea of the, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, in the Greek, the preposition is epi, it means upon. And, and I just keep pouring the water, and you're watching this as I'm pouring the water, and the cup overflows, and it hits the table, and it drips all over the brand new carpet, and I just keep pouring it. And what happens is it just starts to saturate. That's what the Lord is speaking of. It's a power that goes beyond you. Yes, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. He resides with you. You've been, your name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You have been justified and you're sanctified. You're set apart. Uh, your name is written in, in the Lamb's Book of Life and, and, and heaven awaits you. But this idea of affecting the world around you only comes when the Spirit comes upon you. And this is what he's speaking of in Acts 1. And, and you see here the two prepositions in John 14, 15, and 17 where I had you repeated, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So with is para and in you is en. And so with that happening, it lays this out and we see these prepositions. And I love the idea where it says you will receive power. It's a, it's a gift. It's a word of grace. It's a, it's a grace word. It's, it's not earned. It's, it's not a works word. And, and, and the only way that you can receive this is simply by asking. And turn with me, let me see here just a second. Um, yeah, look at Mark chapter one. Oh, that's, uh, do we have, yeah, Mark one. So this is the, the water baptism of Jesus. Now watch this. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan and immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the spirit descending what? Upon him, like a dove, right? So the Holy Spirit comes upon him and then we know that he's driven into the wilderness 40 days without food and then at the end of that 40 days when he hungered where his body is about to die, that's when the devil comes and, and he, is, he is dealing with us. Now this is what's fascinating to me is, uh, is the Lord comes to this place where he is baptized. He's fully God and fully man. Fully God and fully man. He never used his deity to operate in any capacity. Did you hear that? In the three temptations of the devil, after he had been fasting for 40 days, how did he respond? By God's word. Man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He contended with this heavenly being that is, we're created a little lower than the angels. He contends as fully man, as fully man and fully God, not using his deity, but operates in the context of, of, of a, as, a, as fully man and does everything through the spirit that we can do in accordance with the gift God has given us. That's why he had to be baptized. He said, let it be, let it be so. John's saying, I, I have need to be baptized by you. He said, let it be done. And when the spirit comes upon him, what he's saying to all of those who are present is, I am going to do everything you can do by my power, which is the Holy Spirit. The Bible would say in Mark, in the early, I think Mark 2, Jesus would go to a, 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 long before the sun would arise, he would go to a solitary place and there commune with the Father. And, and, and by this idea of abiding with the Father, asking the Lord for his strength by his spirit, he would operate on this earth fully man, but fully filled with the spirit of God in complete reliance. I share this because for a lot of folks, 
we look at this and we think, how do we obtain this baptism of the Holy Spirit? And as I said earlier, you receive it. And we're going to take a look at it. Look at Luke chapter 11. It says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? To those who ask. In, um, in John chapter 20, I'll just read it. The same day at that evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace be to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them, and if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. That's John chapter 20. In John chapter 20, they receive the Holy Spirit, but now we move into you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. After John comes the book of Acts. Now there's this baptism of the Holy Spirit. So they've received the Holy Spirit. He was with them. Now he's in them. And now he's going to come upon them. And as this whole thing transpires and we see this idea of how to receive the Holy Spirit, it's based simply on this idea that we want to walk and reflect Christ to the world around us. And we receive it by faith. But a lot of folks say, no, Ephesians 4, 5 says that there's only one baptism. That's speaking of a water baptism. That speaks of our identity as Christians with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Because we see in Hebrews chapter 6, what we see momentarily, that there's many baptisms. Um, 1 Corinthians 12 that I pulled up is this reflection of the baptism of water so that the world would see this. And so here in Luke Luke 11, 13, he, he gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Uh, I'll read it in context. and It begins in verse 9 of Luke 11. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be open. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So, the simple idea of all of this is to ask. Now, let me make something clear. There's one baptism of this, of, by the Holy Spirit. There's the water baptism, there's baptism into the body of Christ, and then this idea of being baptized by the Spirit. And, and I'll tell you how it works. If you have run your course, and you're tired, and you're lacking power to reflect Christ, that does, I'm looking out the room, nobody has that problem. Anybody? And you're reflecting this ability, you're lacking this ability to reflect Christ. I want to ask you a simple question. Have you ever said, I want to receive, Lord, the baptism of the Holy Spirit? That's all it requires. Now, some people, when they were saved, they did all that at one point. Boom, boom, boom. And you've met those kind of folks. They got saved really good. And there's just something special about them. You love to be around them. Now, if, if you've professed a faith in Christ and you've accepted the Lord and, you know, you've still got some sins that easily beset you and you've got some addictions and you've got some struggles and, you know, in this portion of your life, you do your best to reflect Christ, but then you go home and you've got to be filled with some other false spirit to, you know, retain all the stress of the day and whatever else you're dealing with. And, you know, and, and then your family, if they have to testify on behalf of you being a Christian, they're like, well. And, and, it, and you know that you're lacking this power. The question I just simply have for you is, have you ever asked for the Lord to baptize you? Have you ever asked for the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And you just, all you have to do is just say, Lord, I want that power to reflect you. I want to be able to go anywhere in the world and not rely on my talent or my training or my tenacity 
but I want you to step in there. Because quite honestly, when we have our talent, our training, and our tenacity, and our determination, we get really kind of irritating. I mean, I can sit with somebody, and they're talking to me, and, and I got that pastoral look, mm-hmm, 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 oh, oh, yes. And inside, I'm going, hurry up, I'm already, I already have the answer, just get it out. And usually when I present it, they're like, well, thank you. As opposed to this sitting and having been filled by the Spirit and there's empathy and, and there's, there's words that come out of your mouth that are so profound and so powerful it reaches into the soul of that individual like Netz's phone call to me that no one else's words all day long but that man speaking to my heart melted me. What's the difference? One man is overflowing. He's dripping with the presence of the Lord. He's hugging on me and I am saturated by the love of Christ. And I walk away going, that man is significant in my life. That's not to say that no one else tried to minister. They were giving me the best counsel they could from the training that they had received and the words that they had memorized. And some of the folks, they, they picked up the phone and they answered, they did the best they could and people are calling me to console and I'm giving from an empty well and throwing out the same things I was receiving. And all of us are miserable. But nets, what, what's the difference? First thing he talks about is the presence of the spirit in your life, Rob. And I'm, I'm moved by it. I got a number of people who called me and wanted to tell me about the results and what they assumed had happened and their assessment of it and how it broke down. And I'm like, I would rather have a root canal without Novocaine. Just go away. Asking God for the power to live a life that looks like Christ. People will now come into contact with Jesus and not you. And it will be effective all over the world. For those of you who struggle with the prepositions in the Greek, this is Paul writing 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? That's N-E-N in the Greek. Romans 8.9. But you are not in the flesh but in the spirit if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he's not his. So we know that in John 20, the spirit was in them. And then we know in Acts chapter 1, it comes upon them, as we see in Pentecost going up to chapter 4. And so you, you see these prepositions, para, alongside, parallel lines. Jesus would speak in parallels, using a heavenly, uh, earthly illustration for a heavenly truth. And this is where the Holy Spirit is. He's restraining evil. And then N is being born again. The water fills you. You're, you're sanctified. You're set apart. But this idea in John 14, a P, is the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then we come to this one where people say, well, there's more. There, there's only one baptism Hebrews chapter six, verses one through two. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundations of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. The Lord is just simply pointing out to all of us that we need this. We need this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, for folks who are struggling over it and saying, well, you know what? There's only one baptism. Let's go to Acts chapter eight. Philip goes down to Samaria, he begins to preach. When they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were, both men and women were, then Simon himself, Simon himself also believed, he was a sorcerer, Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. That's pretty cool, isn't it? So, so Philip, they profess a faith in Christ. You know that they profess a faith in Christ or Philip wouldn't have baptized him. Remember he baptized the Ethiopian eunuch? He takes these folks and he baptizes them. They make a profession of faith. I've had the privilege to baptize a few of you in the room. Profession of faith, telling the world. And, and they've, they've, they've accepted that Jesus was, was crucified, died, buried, and resurrected. 
they, 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 they believe in their heart and they confess with their tongue that Jesus is Lord. And they're Christians. And they've been baptized. So this all occurs. And then it goes further in, in uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 14 of the passage. It says, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had not fallen what? Upon, he had not fallen upon. He had he he had fallen upon none of them, and they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. They were saved, baptized into water, professing Christians. Holy Spirit hadn't come upon them, and they lay hands on them, and they received. How do you receive something? Ask. Let's try that again. How do you receive something? Yeah, you ask. Now, this is an interesting one. People contend that one of the outward expressions of being baptized by the Holy Spirit is to speak in tongues. Acts chapter 8. Nobody's speaking in tongues. Someone will say, well, how would Simon have known or how would Peter and John known that the Holy Spirit had come upon them unless there was an outward manifestation? Well, a very interesting concept, but from the silence of the scriptures, you're building a doctrinal position which is not wise. What is evidence, what is evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Right there. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. The idea is when you're baptized in to the Holy Spirit and he comes upon you and that word baptism is very clear you're going to get it on others and as scripture speaks of this living water flowing out of you the word living means moving it means clean and fresh it's not a stagnant pond it's not a puddle it's not a lake it's moving water fresh water some of the greatest rivers in the world the Yangtze, the Mississippi, talk about, you know, the American River, Kern River, if we want to talk about California, talk about the Nile, the Danube. How many people in one day on this earth find refreshment by this moving water? All of our aqueducts are sourced by the American and Kern Rivers, right? You turn on your faucet and this water's moving. You, you, you drive over Highway 5 and you look to your right and it's coming in from the Owens Valley. And you're just seeing it come down and cascading fresh water. In the course of the summer, you look up and you go, oh, how refreshing. You're driving by the California Aqueduct as you're driving through the heat of the San Joaquin Valley and you see this moving water and you think how refreshing. If you've ever been whitewater rafting as the snows are melting, and you just, it's hot and you get up into the Kern River and you get in that boat and it's just ice cold because it's from this glacial movement just coming down and it's just clean and fresh and you can look down and you see the trout swimming and it's just stunning. How many people in the course of, of, of the earth in one day are refreshed by moving water? And the idea is that's what God wants to do with you. He wants you to be a source of living water. Moving water that touches lives. And this idea that we would be a source of refreshment to the world around us. And I think that's what hit me the most. You see, I have asked the Lord to baptize me in the Holy Spirit. I have received that. And I'm not going to ask him again. But I'll tell you what I do ask him for. In um, 
Chapter 4 of Acts, I didn't put it up there because I didn't have time. You can look at it in verses 29 and 31. Obviously, in Acts chapter 2, they're baptized by the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 4, they ask the Lord to fill them. All right? Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, baptized in the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 4, they need some serious help because they are contending with governments. And they say, Lord, would you fill us? Baptism is one thing, but, and that's, that's where the Holy Spirit says, I've got you. This power is yours. But here's what happens. And this is what hit me, and I pray it ministers to you, and I'll close with this. When you head an effort, and I... I I have participated with all of you in trying to do something. And I think it's a noble cause. And people look to you when everything crumbles. And it's kind of like, what do we do now? And they're asking you for something and they're draining you of virtue. I can only answer so many questions about the returns. And I'm out. I can only answer strategy for so much longer. I I can only give you an assessment of this or an assessment of that or what we need to do to. And after a while, I am completely drained of virtue. And in the course of that, with all the struggles you're going through in the hospital visitation and the phone call and the people in the. I'm tapped. When you step into the world that is thirsty, they drain you of your virtue. And I know that the Lord has baptized me by his spirit because he's given me gifts that are beyond anything of my talent, training, tenacity. And I love it when I'm operating in those. I am outside of myself. And it is remarkable. And things come out of my mouth that I have never studied. Wisdom pours out of me and I'm thinking, who has possessed me? Where did that come from? And you don't, you don't have to take my word for it. Ask my family. And they've also been around when Rob's all there and Jesus is completely absent and they're like, yeah, big difference. And no matter about my talent and training and all the things that I really, there, I, I get right to that place where I'm judgmental and I'm critical and I can hurt people and they tire me and I don't want to be around them and I dismiss them and I, I want to, I, I don't, I, people are no longer objects of God's love. They're irritants and I want to cocoon. None of you have that problem. I'm just, you know. <laughs> the virtue's drained. Now, I never asked for the baptism of the Spirit because he's given it to me. You know what I ask him for? Acts chapter 4, verses 29 through 31. I say, God, would you fill me because I leak? And these these suction cups that have attached to this well are draining me faster than I'm being filled. Would you turn the spigot on? Would you fill me? And when do I ask for that? Unfortunately, not enough. Because I walk into a room with my talent, my training, and my tenacity. And then an election happens. And I am drained. And everybody wants to be led. And I realize, Lord, they don't want to be led by me. They need you. Would you fill me with you so they don't see me? Because I'm really irritating right now. And I learned that from Nets. How come you're always happy? And here's what his answer was. Because God is so good. Nets, how do you know that? Well, because when he fills me, I sense his presence. 
every morning and all through the course of the day, I'm asking for his filling and he always meets my need in the riches of Christ. And I am so, I'm so determined by my talent that I seldom ask him for his presence. And the Holy Spirit is just waiting to fill me. Lord, freshly fill me. Please, God. I want to close tonight in the last five minutes. There's two songs we're going to sing, and I asked uh, James and Kelly to sing them. And uh, I want you, while they're singing, if you've never been baptized by the Holy Spirit in accordance with what we just read in Luke 11, it's real simple. While we're singing, just say, Lord, would you baptize me in the Holy Spirit? Would you give me your gifts and your presence? Would you cause me to be living water? He'll do it. And if you're like me and we've been baptized, we don't have to ask him again, but we can't ask him for this. Lord, my virtue's drained. I've been relying on myself. This vessel needs to be filled. Lord, would you fill me afresh with your spirit?